Happy New Year, WordServe. It's good to see everybody back in, in action, getting back into rhythms and all those things that we got unused to. If you're like me, it doesn't take long, and you find that uh, you know life kind of keeps going without you if, you if you don't catch up. So I'm excited because we're starting a new sermon series, uh, as promised. It is called The Power to Change. The Power to Change is actually a, a book written by Craig Rochelle. If you're familiar with Craig, he's a, a pastor in Oklahoma of Life Church. And he wrote this book that I read, and it, it, it affected me uh, profoundly. So I wanted to share some of the lessons that I learned out of that. Where we're going in this sermon series is uh, today, we're stuck. And that's where we're starting, because I don't know if you feel that way, but whether you have or haven't, or you are or aren't, we're going to be unstuck by the end of today. That's my promise. Then we're going to go through the rest of these, uh, who am I, holy habits, breaking good. You've heard of breaking bad. Well, we're going to break good. Uh, and then we're going to quit trying because this is all worthless. No, it's not. Of course not, because then we've got the future university. And that's where we're going to end this thing because life is going to be different because we have the power to change. Maybe not the way you think, maybe better than we think. So let me start with, this is a new year. How many people did their New Year's resolutions? Great, we had four at Christmas Eve when we had 174 people here, and now we've got at least five, so those odds are increasing all the time, right? This is awesome. All right, so this year I will, and this is audience participation time, I would love to hear what it is that you're going to do this year. Now, I know that you may be shy about saying what you want to do, so I have the my friend rule, and here's how it works. I had this friend that's going to lose 15 pounds, right? So no accountability, no worries, we're not checking up on you. So what is it that you or your friend are going to do this year? Like, what is it? No sugar. That's a good one. <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> what else are we going to do this year? Express more gratitude. Awesome. What else? Pray more. What was the other one? Stay healthy. That's, these are great ones. What else? Thank you, Jacob. I'll pay you later. <laughs> he said volunteer more. <laughs> You're the man. I, I made a, a personal vow, and, and here it is going to sound funny, but I vowed to get at least seven and a half hours of sleep a night. Ask me how it's going. No, don't ask me how it's going. <laughs> I'm working on that. I'm working on that. Okay, so this year I will. You know what nobody said? This year I'm going to be stuck. I'm going to be frustrated. I'm not going to follow through with my goals, but you know what? If you look at the statistics, the average person who makes a New Year's resolution by the second Friday in January has already failed. How's that for cheery news this morning? I'm so glad I could cheer you up, right? Yeah, and, and the likelihood of you carrying through a New Year's resolution after the first month is almost zero. Is that sad? Yeah, to me it is sad because we have these great hopes and aspirations, but through the next six weeks, we're going to talk about how do we carry these habits through not just a habit, but a spiritual habit that results in spiritual formation, that results in the kind of life that is different. That's where we're headed with this sermon series, and that's why I'm so excited. But if you're like me, and like apparently 99.9% .9 of the population, we make these great New Year's resolutions, but our, our list then starts to look like this by February, right? <laughs> Have you ever been there? <laughs> if you can't see it from the back, it's like the year keeps getting scratched out. The first one was lose weight, the next one is lose more weight, and then it's lose more weight again, and so on and so on. You've probably been there, right? And if you haven't, then you're that .0001% that actually followed through. So good job for you, but this is the, the reality, and, and I'm convinced that this is the problem. The problem is 
We address symptoms, but we don't get to the root. We pull up the weed, but we don't get to the root. And what happens is that root does what roots do. It continues to produce the habits that take us down the trail we don't want to go. So the question is, how do we do this to a place that we do want to go? Uh, and ama amazingly enough, the Bible has something to say about that. I know it's a shocker, but Paul has something to say about that. Now, th this may not sound as encouraging as you think at first, but bear with me. And I, I will run the slides on this one. I forgot to tell Jacob. I will run the slides on the scripture here because I'm going to break it up a little bit here. We're reading out of Romans uh, in chapter 7. And this is what the Apostle Paul says. Now, uh, before I say that, let me just say this. This is Apostle, Apostle Paul writing to the Romans. So this is well after his conversion experience, well after his church planting journeys, well after he's had this encounter with the risen Christ on the road to Damascus. So he's not new to this. But here's what Paul says, and this is why I can relate to Paul. He starts off with, I do not understand what I do. That, that, uh, that, whoops, I think I shot too far ahead. Nope. I do not understand what I do, for I do what, <laughs> for what I want to do, I do not do. But what I hate, I do. Easy for me to say, right? <laughs> so... How many of you have been there? The, the very first thing that this guy who has all this experience working with Christ, working with churches, planning the gospel, writing a third of the New Testament says, I don't understand what I do. How many people don't understand what you do? I am chief among you, let me tell you. And here's why. It's because habits run our lives. You know, think about that sometime. When you get up in the morning, what do you do? You have a routine. Whether you recognize it or not, you have a routine. And it probably involves something, you know, the, the, the shower, the breakfast, the brush the teeth, all that kind of stuff. You don't really think about that. You just do it. If you're still thinking about how to brush your teeth, let's talk. But most of you just go through that. You don't even think about it. It's a habit. Habits run our lives. Habits are like the operating system on a computer. It fires up and it runs in the background. And it causes you to do or not do things based on your operating system, because that's who you are. That's the way that you do things. And we don't even pay attention to it. And that's not necessarily a bad thing, but it's just to say that a lot of what we do is on autopilot. And if you don't believe me, start tracking the things that you're not aware that you do. You'll be amazed at how much you do. Now, it also affects the way that you think. When I ask people to do things for the church, the first response is, oh, that's not really my gift. Really? Because I see it in you. And I wouldn't ask if I didn't see it in you. Or, yeah, no, I'm, I'm not that smart. Really? Uh, I see a smart person. Well, I'm not really good with people. That's amazing because people follow you. People want to hear what you have to say. So that operating system that works in the background can actually tear us down, or it can build us up. But either way, I don't understand what I want to do because my operating system, uh, the sinful nature of my operating system makes me do things I don't want to do. And it keeps me from doing the things that I do want to do. So I, I'm with Paul on this one, but he doesn't end there. And we're not going to end there either, by the way. <laughs> For I do not do the good that I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do. That's what I keep on doing. You've ever been frustrated by saying, I'm no longer going to do this certain behavior, and then that behavior comes back. I know I'm the only one that struggles with this, but this is a common thing among the other people outside of our walls here, right, that they struggle with, my friend right? It's, it's amazing how this operating system steers us again and again. This has sounded pretty hopeless so far, but Paul's not done, and, and Paul's never done, let's face it, right? 
He says, what a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? Thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ, our Lord. You see, these are the words of God for the people of God, and for these words, we are grateful. Who will rescue me? Notice what he doesn't say. Who doesn't rescue Paul? Not the greatest self-help program, not the latest podcast, not the latest TikTok, not the latest friendly advice from your friends. There's one source of rescue, and that is God through Jesus Christ. Now, why God through Jesus Christ? Well, God is pretty obvious. I'm so messed up that only God can fix me. That's the bottom line. The other part is Jesus Christ. Now, God could just wave a wand and everything could be better. But God's way beyond that. He, he sends a son to live the life that, that we should be living. So you've got the law and you've got the spirit of the law. The letter of the law and the spirit of the law. And throughout history of Israel and throughout the history of the Old Testament, you see people who are really good at living the letter of the law but totally miss the spirit of the law. And some people that are good at living the spirit of the law but maybe aren't so versed in technology, uh, maybe aren't so versed <laughs> in the letter of the law, and then they get ostracized or downplayed. They're insignificant. But there was one who actually knew the letter of the law and lived the spirit of the law perfectly. That's why Jesus Christ. He sends an example for us to see. And what does Jesus Christ do in that whole process? Not only does he show us how to live, he brings us with him. All good leaders should bring people with them, not just say, hey, good luck, I hope you make it. He actually leads the way and brings us with him. Look at what it says. Uh, this, this is how I feel, by the way. <laughs> Sometimes it can be a little overwhelming. This is what he says. <clears throat> uh, this is what uh, Paul says in Galatians 4, 4 through 7. But when the set time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law, that we might receive adoption to sonship. That word redeem is key. It's not just that he came in and say, hey, you know, be free, be you, do you. No, he came and redemption means to pay a price, to pay a price that that person obviously couldn't pay or they would have paid it. I mean, if it were up to me and I could pay the price to be free of sin, I would have done it a long time ago. I would be done with that. But I cannot. And, and sad news, neither can you. But there is one who not only can, but has paid the price. He has redeemed us which is followed by my second favorite question. To what end? Why would God come and redeem us? What's the purpose? What's the point? Well, it's the adoption. Sonship or, or daughtership, if you're uh, of that meant. So sonship or daughtership, he wants us to be a part of this family. And, and it, it, it just gets better and better. Because you are his sons or daughters, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit who calls out, Abba, Father, you are no longer a slave, but God's child. Now, let me pause there, because there's an identity to carry forward in 2024. Who are you? You are God's child. I could just say amen there, and we could go on, but we're not done yet, right? Since you are his child, God has made you also an heir. An heir. Not only are you a child of God, you're an heir. You are royalty. You've got royal blood running through your veins right now. Is that exciting? That ought to be a good gift for 2024. But the thing about this is we've been adopted into this family. Now, if you know much about adoption, and I, I've never been a part of that, but here's what I do know. When you're adopted, you get a new last name. You become a part of a family. Now, does that mean you automatically act like that family? 
Probably not. You come from a different background. You come from a different upbringing. You're not going to know the values and the way that that family moves and breathes. But you instantly get that last name. And then you learn through time how that family acts. How should I be if my last name is now Smith? And you learn over time, and you become a real Smith. You're an heir to the Smith family. Same thing for Christianity. When we become a Christian, we get that title. You are now a Christian, but what does that mean? Do we instantly get better? No, we, we are instantly freed from the power of sin and even death itself. But it takes some time to live in as an heir to be a child of God. Does that mean you lose your salvation if you don't do it just right? Well, thank God it's not up to us. Jesus already took care of that part. But there's more that we can grow into and live into as an heir, as a child of God. That's, that's good news and bad news. <laughs> Why is it good news and bad news? Well, here's the thing. God rescues us. It's not in our control. I can't just decide today that, you know, I'm done with this sin thing. I'm just going to go and do my own thing. God has to be a part of that. God has to rescue. God is the one and only one that can do it. But here's the second problem that we have. Once we realize that God is the one who saves us, we even get that wrong because we're human. Let's face it. These are three points out of uh, Craig's book that he brings up. He says, the first one is, we treat it as God, not me. In other words, when I make that decision that, yes, Jesus is my Savior, I'm free from the power of sin, uh, it's up to God now, not me. I'm just kind of on autopilot, and life is going to be good. All of the straight and narrow path will be laid out before me. There will be no more problems in life. I'll get my dream job, I'll live in my dream neighborhood, I'll get my dream spouse, and, and life's going to be perfect. And I don't have to do a thing. Has anybody been successful with that approach? Yeah, no, I, I bet not. So it's not that it's God, not me. We don't just wait passively and go, okay, develop me into this fruit of the Spirit type person, this true disciple of Jesus Christ, this heir to the throne. That's not the way we do it. The second way, though, is just the opposite. We think that God does this thing, like he picks us up, he dusts us off, he dresses us in this pure white robe and says, okay, go, do great things. And then it's all up to me. Now, let me tell you how that works, and I, I know this because this is me. You get all clean and all white, and you step out, and you go, okay, it's up to me, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do this right. And then you step in that mud puddle, and now your clean white robes are no longer clean anymore. And you go, mess that up. Man, I can't even do this right. And then we get back to that, what we talked about last week, where that guilt starts to, to come in. And then if you leave it there long enough, it devolves into shame. And if you want to see that, you can catch it on our YouTube channel. I'm not going to repeat that. But you can start to get down that train, just a little spot on that white robe. That's all it takes for us to get derailed. Because we no longer think we're worthy. We can't do this, so why try? It's not God, then me. Well, then what is it? Well, Paul was also talking in the book of Acts to a bunch of people. He had visited their temples, and he saw on their temples that they had an inscription to the unknown God. And so he directs some conversation about this, about what God really is like. And this is where we pick up where we're going to go. This is what Paul was saying to the crowd then. He said, the God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth. He does not live in temples built by hands. He's not served by human hands as if he needed anything. Rather, he gives everyone life and breath and everything else. From one man, he made all the nations that they should inhabit the whole earth. He marked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their lands. 
God did this so they would seek him and perhaps reach out to him and find him, though he is not far from any one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being. Let me say that last part again. In him we live, we move, and we have our being. That's the part that we're missing. It's not God, not me. It's not God, then me. Then what is it? It's God through me. Now, I know this seems a little esoteric. You're thinking, Bill, is this the best that you can do? No, there's an example. There's an analogy, and it all revolves around sailing. So let me, let me paint it this way. We're all in trouble. We're out in the water. We can't swim. We're about to drown. God provides a sailboat. Awesome. I'm saved. All I got to do is get on board. Great. Well, the God not me part says I get on board the sailboat and I wait for something to happen. I'm a passenger. What we've just become is a cruise ship person, right? Like, yeah, I'm just going to get on this cruise ship and God's going to feed me. He's going to take care of me. He's going to take me to someplace. Great. And the seas are going to be all calm. And guess what happens if you get on a sailboat and don't do anything? You're stuck. That's what we're talking about. I am stuck. Maybe it's because I'm waiting for God to do everything and I'm not doing anything to help the process. I'm stuck because I'm a cruise ship passenger. I, I, I hate to disappoint anybody, but if you're thinking that WordServe is a cruise ship type of church, sorry. I, I hate to disappoint you. That we move, we do things, hence the serve part of Word, right? So. The God, not me part on the sailboat just gets on the cruise ship and waits for something to happen. The God, then me, doesn't even realize it's a sailboat. So they're to turn, okay, I'm on board. Well, I need to get somewhere. I need to go somewhere. So I'm, I'm going to find this oar. I'm going to start rowing. And I'm going to row. And, you know, winds, who cares? Currents, no big deal. I can, I can do this. And you know what we do? We row and we row and we row. We get about 10 feet because we're going against the current and don't even realize it. And we're exhausted. We're burned out. We've tried to do everything and we can't do anything else. That's the God in me. God never asks us to do this by ourselves. God never asks us to pick up that thing and row. But I see so many Christians, good hearted, good. Yeah, I mean, this is the American work ethic, right? Work till you drop. Yeah, fierce, independent master of my own destiny, captain of my own ship. No pun intended. This is what we do. We try to row. We try to do it ourselves, and we burn ourselves out. I see it in church all the time. I see it in church pastors. It's not up to us to row. So then what is it? It's not the God in me. It's God through me. Now, if you know anything about sailing, you're already money ahead, but you may not know much about sailing, but I bet we can figure this out. If you got on board this ship and you, wanted to, you knew it was a sailboat, what are the kinds of things that you would need to do to get somewhere? Raise a sail. What else? Pull up the anchor. There you go. <laughs> Duh. <laughs> yeah, that's one of those you... <laughs> but it happens, right? What else? Chart a course. I love this. What else? Pray. <laughs> Pray. That's always good. What else? Tack, oh, there's a sailor. Yeah, because you can go against the wind, but you got to know how to do it. It's called tacking, right? What else? You guys in, what's that? 
Steer, yeah. <laughs> Otherwise, you're going to run onto that sandbank, right? Yeah, great job, yeah. So did you guys realize you're, you're preaching the gospel right now? When you get on board the sailboat, the first thing you want to do is raise the sail. Raising the sail catches the wind. The wind in our relationship, this is what I love about the, the Hebrew and the Greek both. In, in Greek, the word is pneuma for spirit. In Hebrew, it's ruach for spirit. It can also refer not just to spirit, but to wind, to breath. It's the Holy Spirit that provides the power for what we do, but not if we don't raise a sail. So how do we raise the sail? Well, we open ourselves to God and we make ourselves available. I see too many Christians that walk around all tight and pinched. No, I can't do anything. No, I can't give. No, I can't serve. No, I don't have time for that. How about we stop and we go, you know what, God, speaking of gratefulness this year, I'm so grateful for everything that you've given me. Let me just open up and see where you can use me. Let me unfurl the sail and see where the wind picks up. And all of a sudden, we have movement. Houston, we have movement. But it's not just enough to move. Where do we move? How do we move? Because if I just blow with the current wind of society, I am going to end up on those rocks because I didn't steer. I didn't chart a course. How do we chart a course as Christians? It's right here. It's written down. How do we steer? Well, we, who said pray? Somebody said pray. Yeah. Hey, Captain, where are we headed today? What heading do you want me to take? That's a good start to the day. Right? Otherwise, we're just going to be in circles or, or stuck again. And how many people, you don't have to raise your hands on this, how many people have been weighed down by sin and just cannot get going because you feel stuck? Man, folks, it's time to pick up the anchor. Sin is gone. Christ has already done that. Did I mention the redeemed part? He's redeemed us. The sin is gone. The anchor is no longer holding us back. What are we waiting for? Well, we're waiting for the wind to pick up and the sail to be unfurled and the course to be charted. And then there's just one other thing. There's this thing called a rudder. As long as you point the rudder right in the direction that the captain gives us, we're going to be fine. But as soon as we start doing our own thing, because, man, there's something over there that looks more appealing, let me go over there. And then we're back off course. Folks, it's time to pick up the anchor. It's time to unfurl the sail. It's time to put down the oars. It's time to sail. That's what God calls us to. That's what is possible in him. Now, this is going to be a little bit about habits, holy habits. And we're going to get to that a few sessions down, but I want to get you started on this early. The reason that most people fail their New Year's resolutions is because they make this gargantuan thing that is impossible to do in the time that you have. So we're going to break it down to one thing called a keystone habit. A keystone in an arch is when the arch comes together, the keystone is that final piece that's put into place, and it bears the weight of the entire arch. You pull the keystone, the arch collapses. But if you have a good keystone, that arch will stand like forever. So we're going to do a keystone habit. Keystone habits, if you start with one of these big three, a diet, sleep, or exercise-based, that's going to be something that enables you to do things. Let me give you an example. I want to, in 2024, I'm going to get up early, I'm going to read the Word of God, I'm going to pray, and I'm going to journal. But if I only get three hours of sleep a night, how long is that going to last? You see how this goes, right? Um, I am going to lose 15 pounds by June, end of June. 
but I never commit to exercise or diet. How long is that going to last? Then we're going to be mad at ourselves because we failed the big goal. Well, let's start with the micro goals. Let's start with a keystone habit about your diet, about your sleep, about your exercise. If you want to look later at wordserve.org slash sermons, I'm going to put a list of, of some things that Craig Groeschel's book recommends that you do as a keystone habit. Do that one thing. Do that consistently and watch the others follow. It'll work better for us, I'm pretty sure. Because I'm also pretty sure that none of us woke up in 2024 and said, this year I will be stuck. Now, how about, words, sir, we make a New Year's resolution that sounds more like this. This year, I will live and move and have my being in Christ Jesus. That sounds like one we can stick with. Let's pray. God, thank you for your son, Jesus Christ, the gift and the freedom that he gives us. Thank you for the Holy Spirit that provides the power to sail. God, convince us to put down our oars, to quit struggling so hard, and to cooperate with what it is that you're doing in our lives. And as we approach you this morning, help us to find that one keystone habit that starts this journey towards transformation. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.